listeners, and welcome to episode 40 in our podcast series, You Should Have Been There, with me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. Yes, today is the Big 4 uh, and to celebrate, and because our subject is souvenirs, uh, I'm ringing my souvenir bell. Simon, can you guess what this souvenir bell is actually made of? Um, oh, cheap metal, plastic, I don't know. Well, actually, it's made of um, pottery of some kind, and it is really rather rather beautiful. Um, Unfortunately, uh, I cannot for the life of me remember where I brought it back from. That, that surely fails the first test of any souvenir, which should be squarely to remind you of a particular time, and more particularly, a place. Fair point. Caught bang to rights. However, I do have some souvenirs which do remind me very strongly of particular places and experiences. So um, maybe I should uh, start by talking about them. Go on then. Give me your uh, your top three. Um, I think the most interesting one is um, this little chap here, who obviously you can't see. Uh, I can tell you that... Um, he normally lives on the mantelpiece over the fireplace in our lounge. And there's a reason for that, because he is a god of household prosperity and fecundity. <laughs> he's got a name. He's called Ekeko, E-K-E-K-O. Uh, he's a, a small figure, about... Um, three inches tall. He's made of China or perhaps plaster of Paris. He's a jolly looking fellow with a moustache dressed in Andean clothes. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about him is uh, he is weighed down by shopping bags. And these are real, if you see what I mean. They're not plaster of Paris. They're actually made of fabric and they're beautifully made. There's a blue and green and white bag. Uh, There's a sack made of real sack, which I think is filled with... um, I don't know whether it's maize or beans, but some staple product. And then, and then he's he's got a basket. I mean, a real basket, tiny basket, uh, in one arm. And uh, basically, he's carrying all the food that uh, all the family shopping for um, a week. I would say uh, all about his person. Um, I mean, the idea is that you put him in a comfortable place in your home, and then he looks after you. But what I didn't realise was that if you actually want some material let's just say uh, you really yeah. want a car or a load of money you actually have to put a miniature version of this at his feet um, so a tiny wad of dollars you certainly wouldn't uh, use Bolivian currency because that's where he's from by the way he is I bought him in La Paz mm. uh, in in the incredible handicraft market there um, uh, anyway, there we go. That's Ekeko. And uh, uh, yeah, a couple of couple of questions arising, if I may. Um, the first one: um, How on earth do you bring such a thing back from uh, intact from from um, La Paz, Bolivia, from which there have never ever been any direct flights to the UK? Um, well, uh, you have to put him in. Uh, I, I can't remember now because it was a long time ago. But I suspect I put it inside socks inside uh, various other things so he was well wrapped maybe even in a box as well inside my case um, I did think at the time that he was quite special I mean he was just like a rather typical um, piece of uh, uh, tourist uh, uh, frippery but he's not a trinket I think I think why I like him is he is authentic because at the 
handicraft market in La Paz, which is absolutely astonishing. It's in a street um, which is known locally as Calle de las Brujas, yeah. um, which is the street of the witches, ah. um, although that's not its uh, real name, not its official name. This It's absolutely rammed, or it certainly was, with shops and stalls selling charms yeah. and herbal remedies. And, of course, these uh, Aymara religious figurines. And my fellow shoppers, I do remember very clearly, were absolutely not backpackers or <laughs> holiday makers of any kind. They were actually um, proper local mm. people. And, you know, the classic Andean women in bowler hats and uh, the like. And uh, so I think of him as being absolutely authentic. And uh, he's lasted for quite a long time, um, fingers crossed and uh, touch wood and, and stuff. <laughs> very good. OK. And the, the next along? Okay, well, I'll be a bit quicker now. Um, I've got a chair which I would be sitting in, although it's actually uh, a bit uncomfortable, but it is actually rather a beautiful thing. Um, it's from Malawi. Uh, it's made of a wood called Mpingo, M-P-I-N-G-O, which is probably banned now as, as an export. It's African ebony or blackwood. Uh, it's from a very slow-growing gro tree, which means it really should be uh, looked after. But uh, uh, I think at the time when I got this, there probably weren't any um, uh, controls on its uh, use or abuse. Um, uh, it, it's quite hard to describe. It, it's, it's, it's a folding chair. I think it was used by... Uh, hunters and um, uh, herdsmen and the like, so you could carry it with you. So it actually comes apart. It's in two parts. Um, one part is sort of like a big spoon, mm -hmm. which, is, uh, in, which is the seat and uh, the back leg. It's got three legs, by the way. And then the other part um, is has two legs and then a rather intricately carved back <laughs> it's a, it's a beautiful thing mainly because the wood is astonishing array of colors apparently this uh, this tree which is a sort of rich black in the middle if you cut through it has also got lots of other shades you know towards the outside it, it's a lovely thing um uh i got it when i was traveling down from uh, the mulange um massive in southern Malawi with some Zimbabwean mm -hmm. friends. Uh, uh, we've been climbing up something called Mount Chambe, which is a, a very nice mountain with the most, uh, very easy to climb up, otherwise I wouldn't have climbed it, but the most beautiful view down over all the sort of bright green tree plantations of southern Malawi. Anyway, we were driving back down the mountain road and we had a puncture uh, and while we were mending it which obviously took forever uh, loads of local villages appeared from absolutely nowhere and um, tried to sell us things and uh, I bought this chair from a, a young man for two or three actual US dollars uh, and my t-shirt what uh, I don't know where the T-shirt actually came from, but it had some kind of uh, message or logo on it. Uh, and it really wasn't very clean because, um, you know, I had worn it to climb up the mountain. Um, but anyway, he uh, he made it clear that uh, I, th this sale would only go ahead if I gave him the T-shirt. So I just took it off and gave it to him along with the uh, uh, three, two or three dollars. <laughs> that's, that's extraordinary. So an actual cash plus barter. Uh, transaction. I think that 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 catapults it to pretty near the top of the Premier League of of, of souvenirs. Have you got one more for me? One more is much smaller. Uh, it's uh, it's a carving, a sort of relief carving, 
of a southern right whale. It's about a foot long, the carving, Mm -hmm. which is actually, I've worked out as one 50th the size of these things, which can grow to 50 feet long. Um, And it was carved by a chap called Claudio, who works for an agency that runs whale watching tours in a rather remote part of Argentina, Mm -hmm. the Peninsula Valdez. Have you ever been there? Um, I'd love to, but I've never quite made it. Oh, wonderful. It's famed for its wildlife, Mm. penguins, orcas, elephants, seals, and of course, these whales, Mm. um, uh, which uh, uh, Steph, my partner and I went to see, uh, uh, one of the uh, many uh, tourist cruises that go out to see them. Um, And uh, we were staying at a very very nice airbnb in the only uh settlement on the uh, peninsula valdez called puerto piramides uh, with claudio and his absolutely lovely partner lala who could not have been nicer people um and anyway he gave us this uh as a present um and i think it's um the fact that it was a present um has, has sort of catapulted that into my top tier of souvenirs. Well, I'm, I'm delighted to hear those stories. And particularly, I love the way that you can um, uh, recall, unlike your bell, which may we hear it again? You can... You can remember that not just the circumstances, but even the price and the uh, uh, the, the, the uh, negotiation, which was very, very good. Um, I'll bring you mine, if I may, shortly. But first, I wanted to bring you the views of an expert, a business psychologist. Um, I've been speaking to Dr. Julia Ferguson, and I began by asking her for her favourite souvenir. Oh, my favourite souvenir. That is an interesting question, isn't it? Um, I think probably my favourite souvenir is a rock. A A what? A rock. A beautiful stone um, that I brought back from beach in Brittany. But I still have the stone and and it is the most beautiful stone. And um, it is about 10 inches in diameter. What? It, no. Yeah, it probably that... weighs um, probably weighs a couple of kilos actually, um, that... and it is beautiful, sort of regular granite, probably granite, light grey flecked with black. It's not smooth; it's slightly rough, and just uh, a, a very beautifully proportioned stone. Right, um, and let me guess: you didn't buy this. No, no. Okay. And do do you think they miss it in Brittany? I suspect not. I suspect not. They have quite a lot of uh, granite around in Brittany, littering the beaches. They're probably glad that it disappeared. And and just sort of maybe looking around you, have you got other souvenirs that you actually spent actually spent money on, um, and uh, something that you brought back because, well, it just reminded you of your journey, your your adventure. Mm. Yes, um, I'm. It's in my study, and on one of my shelves, I have um, two crucifixes and a rosary, and right. the rosary I did. Uh, actually buy at the Vatican um, and and you you look at it now you you pick it up you 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 handle it does it bring you contentment or joy um, no it no it it, it it doesn't particularly um, because I don't have a particularly strong faith so it, it, it is 
simply a souvenir. I guess it has no religious significance for me. It does remind me fondly of uh, spending a little bit of time in Rome. And which we could all do with. Um, now, from, from, your, from your professional perspective, why would we as travelers able in normal times in the 21st century to venture far and wide why would we want to bring something back mm. yes well i mean there are i imagine a, a sort of vast array of motivations aren't there um you know souvenirs come in so many different shapes and and uh, forms you have um you have the sort of kitsch uh, souvenir, you know, the red, uh, the red London bus and the ceramic leaning tower of Pisa and uh, so forth and so on that you see in those sort of tacky souvenir shops, of which there are many. So presumably many people enjoy that kind of collecting. And I think, I think those sorts of um, souvenirs are, are simply signifiers um, in terms of you know, been there, done that, and showing the world that you've been there, done that, uh, possibly in a slightly sort of tongue-in-cheek way, I guess. Um, but I, uh, I suppose there are many other sorts of souvenir collection. Um, many people, I suppose, seek out particular forms of souvenir which may have some actual value. Uh, you know, for investment purposes, whether it, you know, indigenous crafts, for example. Um, again, you know, they are to an extent, in, but in a slightly different way, signifiers of having done something, you know, or accomplished something, um, but, but, but in a slightly more utilitarian way. Um, and there are the... Um, there, there are the things like the rocks, aren't there, which people... Uh, which are much more kind of private forms of souvenir collecting, but they still say um, in a slightly less obvious way, I've been to such and such a place. I, I have a friend who has um, keeps them in her bathroom, a whole range of rocks picked up from different places and they've all got dates on them. Um, and, you know, they are rocks, they didn't have to be purchased, but they're still souvenirs of a particular place um, that have meaning uh, for that person uh, in terms of just uh, conjuring up memories, I suppose, usually, you know, fond memories. Oh, that's fascinating and i'm absolutely with julia on the uh, on the on the rock thing because um, uh, in one corner of my desk and i'd forgotten to mention this earlier is a beautiful piece of flint which um, i picked up from uh i can't remember where uh, somewhere in a forest i think it was uh, cuz i was quite surprised to see it when uh, we were recently down in east sussex mm. and uh, a lot of the uh, the traditional housing down there is actually built with uh, flint in it you know i think as a decoration yes of course you know yes. the kind of thing it's, it's there was a uh, anyway i've got this one here which is i think lovely and i was meaning to um, give it to steph as a, <laughs> a very cheapskate uh, christmas present but as a souvenir of a very nice week we spent in the uh, east Sussex. Oh, how lovely! Well, <laughs> um, I'm I'm going to. Uh, I've, I've um, ahead of our, our recording. I have done a sweep of my favourite souvenirs, and 
very oddly, they are all from the same time, um, so the early 1990s, and they are all from places in various stages of um, uh, political um, collapse, um, which, which uh, uh, unites them all. And I was quite interested because I, you know, I, I, I don't collect that many souvenirs, but these I'm very, very keen on. So in, in third place um, was uh, the, the occasion when I touched down in Managua, in Nicaragua, I know you were there roughly the same time uh, in 1991 and immediately became a millionaire uh, because at the time um, you could uh, the exchange rate was was roughly one dollar for one million cordobas. So uh, if if you turned up with a uh, um, roughly sort of 500 pounds at the time, you could instantly become a local billionaire. Um, of course, the currency has now been replaced by the slightly more solid Cordoba Oro, uh, the, the gold uh, Cordoba. Um, but I still have a million Cordoba note. And that's a... Oh, what, a, color, what color is it? it, 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 it it's it's kind of dirty gray brown, but I think that may be age and um, <laughs> and the fact that people have been... Uh, uh, quite, it passed through quite a lot of hands before it reached mine. Um, and banknotes, in fact, are very, very uh, popular as souvenirs. Um, for example, if you yeah. go to um, Serbia, um, this was, I guess, also early 90s, um, the Yugoslavia fell apart and Serbia, um, the currency devalued so spectacularly that the authorities actually issued 500 billion dinar banknotes um and they're now sold by souvenir vendors in belgrade um so so that's that's a kind of commercial i guess or financial um uh, souvenir of a particular time uh i'm also looking at um some late 60s beatles albums which i bought in the soviet union as it fell apart right at the start of the uh 1990s um and this was a really strange time nobody had worked out what the rules were so um previously there there had been a kind of quite quite tough black market but that kind of opened up so anybody traveling with western currency was automatically very very wealthy and so and at the time vinyl was still a a a, a live thing and i had a huge vinyl collection and i've got some some um uh, Beatles um, records, including Magical Mystery Tour, the album there, and the White Album, and they are—they were pressed locally. Obviously, I don't suppose that um, uh, Sir Paul McCartney <laughs> and uh, George uh, and Ringo Starr um, get get many royalties from this particular pressing, but they—they uh, they are a, a magical um, reminder of of that strange time. Can I, I? I have to ask you: Does "Back in the USSR" actually feature in your collection? It does. It does, and that that perhaps shows the time and the place. So this album would not possibly have been, I think, permitted in, and I'm guessing here, 1968 when it first came out. But by the end of the 1980s, and Glasnost, um, Perestroika, and, and uh, everything that went along with the slight oh, fun, easing yeah, of things. Yeah. Um, uh, back in the USSR was um, was 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 right there, um, and 
and then top of my list, top of my list, and you would have seen this adorning the uh, wall of my kitchen for the last thirty years, is a, a sign from a cafe in Havana. Uh, that this cafe was being done up um, it, right at the start of the nineteen nineties, and just stuck in the corner was this sign reading, uh, and it's uh, uh, quite quite a big solid. Uh, wooden sign reading Cafe Mesclado, uh, which is the local kind of sweet, tiny black coffee, 30 milliliters for 10 centavos, which um, uh, is a microscopic amount of money uh, in Western terms, was and is. And what's particularly charming is that um, somebody has turned it into a bit of a relief with by, by cutting out something which looks like a <laughs> coffee cup and gluing it on to the to the sign um it's it's a masterpiece and i'm so proud of it and i paid i think ten dollars so uh it i don't think i've been asset stripping the heritage of uh, cuba but i'm so glad to have something which may possibly even have been cast on a fire so so i yes and and that of course it's all about transition uh time of time of great change for Cuba and uh, just a lovely memory of the, the great fortune of having been there at that time at that place. It's it's interesting how different your souvenirs are uh, from mine. Do you know what I thought you were going to say, actually, that yes. uh, you actually had a piece of the Berlin Wall? That's interesting. And just 200 metres from here, approximately, I could almost, if there wasn't a building in the way, see a slab of the Berlin Wall, which is right outside the Imperial War Museum. Um, it's not something that uh, that, that tempted me. Um, I was in lucky enough to be in East Berlin right at the start of 1989, at a time when nobody, I don't think on either side of the wall, thought that by the end of the year, the wall wouldn't exist anymore. And so I kind of just keep the the... the image of one freezing January morning as as the mist clung to the city of crossing Checkpoint Charlie, as it were, the wrong way from East Berlin coming out to West Berlin. And that, that is a good enough memory for me. Um, I, 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 I need no, need, need no souvenirs, but um, I, you, you came up with this wonderful concept of tears for souvenirs. Um, must just mention that that was a, terrible song i think uh from the 1960s by ken dodd of all people which it began. was it wasn't written by it, him you know it was written in the 1920s oh, really? so we could so maybe we could excuse it yes and, uh but uh <laughs> anyway it uh, begins tears for souvenirs are all you've left me um i think memories of a love you never meant there we are um but oh. you you've come up with 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 your own tears t-i-e-r-s um, for, for for souvenirs. Yes, I was helped by um, by an article I found in an academic uh, publication. The article was called "Values of Souvenirs as Commodities," uh, and it was written by a um, a couple of um, Greek academics, Pavlos Paraskevaidis and um, Konstantinos Andriotis. And it is actually quite interesting. They did surveys of uh, of people. Uh, in a Greek village, actually, or a Greek town, uh, about why they got souvenirs, what they thought of them, what they valued about them. And uh, 
I decided on the basis of of reading this article that I would make a three tiers of souvenirs. <laughs> uh, the bottom tier is um, if your souvenir is made in China, unless, of course, you are actually in China, in which case you yes. score points for that. So um, if you, for example, buy a Spanish fan um, and then it turns out to be made in China. I kind of think that goes down into the bottom tier. I also think um, that anything bought at the duty free (laughs) in an airport is also in the bottom tier. Uh, I don't want to be snobbish Uh, about it, but. uh, Well, I I, I think the, um, the, 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 that is summed up brilliantly. If you go to Stansted airport, there is still this, um, uh, this shop um, called glorious Britain, um, in the duty free area, and you just think, "Oh my goodness me, is that our <laughs> our, our sole glory?" Um, it, it's it's very very uh, uh, depressing, but but there we are. I mean, it, it wouldn't be there unless there were plenty of people uh, buying into it. Literally, yeah. Um, you can provide, you can buy merchandise from iconic British institutions such as the Beatles. Here they are again, and the royal family, which is, I think, we pretty much all we have left. <laughs> Well, okay. well, carrying on with the tiers, I'm going to go up to tier three and then come back to tier two. Authenticity uh, used or made by locals is very good. Um, To be honest, I think what trumps it all is if it tells a good story and, of course, reminds you of where it was you were, which is why, sadly, my bell is Mm. probably going to have to go either into... um, tier two or maybe even down to the bottom tier but my top tier then is if it's a special present I think that's very good and obviously if it's attractive as well then you get different strong points really Mm. Um, I was a bit stuck for my tier two I quite like this quotation from somebody who was interviewed for that article I mentioned Um, now this I thought raised something that was otherwise in the bottom tier into tier two okay so this is what this is what the uh, 45 year old male informant said um (laughs) (laughs) while being on vacation at the island of paros i saw a small ceramic donkey bearing two baskets serving as a salt and pepper set It was an amazing piece of work, but it had no logo on it. So I asked the vendor if she could paint the island's name on it. And so she did. I still have it. And it is one of my favorite things. I think that's brilliant. So I think that's a tier two thing. And then here's another one. A 36-year-old male interviewee who stated, Berlin was the last place I went to, and I only bought toothpaste. When I went back to the hotel, I realised that I bought the wrong thing and what I had was a teeth-cleaning gum and not what I needed at all. However, I kept this product, useless though it was, and whenever I look at it, it reminds me of this specific trip as a pleasant memory. <laughs> so that's an accidental <laughs> souvenir. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, and, and then, then, well, I'm going to take give you another tier two souvenir, which was which is a memory that I will always hold, um, which was um, at the exit from the uh, really quite horrific Chernobyl complex in Ukraine, which is now the site of day trips. And of course, they've got a mandatory um, uh, souvenir shop on there. And I just remember an American visitor just casually saying and i love chernobyl fridge magnet and a hot dog please (laughs) oh my goodness me well let's um 
call time on souvenirs. I think we've gone on long enough, but I do think it's a really interesting subject, like so many, when you start to uh, look into it uh, and talk to other people who know a bit more than you do about it. Anyway, next week, uh, Simon, what are we going to talk about next week? Well, we're going to be talking, as it were, about the opposite of travel, which is quarantine and uh, something which an awful lot of people have been experiencing. Um, Maybe you are right now. Um, the the business of, of just kind of isolation uh, from the rest of the world, usually as a kind of punishment for having travelled. Um, and we'll be taking you to a number of islands, um, including Ascension and one tiny Greek island, which sounds lovely, Spinalonga, um, but uh, very sadly has quite a tragic history. I've got some slightly more upbeat uh, stories of quarantine, but... Uh... I will share them with you next week. So um, until then, from me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.